This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. A seminar hosted by the Cambridge Assessment Network gave delegates new insights into how bilingual students learn and are assessed within the education system at present and into the future too. Translanguaging, a dynamic bilingual perspective on pedagogy, assessment and research heard from guest speakers Dr Gwyn Lewis of Bangor University and Stuart Shaw and Helen Immam of Cambridge International Examinations. Thank you very much, Diochen That was Dr Gwyn Lewis. Speaking two languages comes naturally to the Welsh and over in the USA, the practice is being studied enthusiastically too. Historically, bilingual schools have kept boundaries between languages, but now schools are beginning to experiment by using two languages concurrently within the same school. Dr Lewis can tell you more. Well, it's important in bilingual education contexts in that it utilises both languages of the child. The child can access information in one language and then can discuss what they've learned through that language in the other language. And we haven't really known much about it in the past. There's been very little research into translanguaging. It's a reasonably new concept. It originally came from Wales in the 1980s by a, a personal colleague of mine, Dr Ken Williams, who actually coined the word as a Welsh word, traus yeithi. And then he contacted his colleague, Professor Colin Baker, and actually thought that the word in English might be translinguifying. But then Colin Baker dwelled on the issue for a couple of days and then came up with the word translanguaging, and it's stuck ever since. And, and they've also been investigating, and not just in Wales, where you might say two languages is natural for most people, but, but in the United States of America too. Why is that? Yes, it's caught the imagination of some of the leading educationalists across the world, specifically Professor Ophelia Garcia from New York, who sees translanguaging as a very effective, dynamic way of developing bilingualism in in New York between Spanish and English. And also Professor Nancy Hornberger from the States as well, as well as eminent educationalists in England, Crease and Blackledge. Now you started your address to the Cambridge Assessment Seminar here today saying that you woke up this morning and you read the English newspapers and then you spoke to your wife about them in Welsh. It's second nature to you, speaking two languages. It is second nature. It's a natural thing. Anybody living in a bilingual community like I do, we translanguage on a daily basis and then it's just a natural process for children to do so as well in schools. They've got two languages. They can easily switch from one to the next in order to deepen their subject knowledge and understanding. And and what have you been looking at? You talk about terms such as input and output and the skills from translanguaging. But we might have thought in the past that actually the examination system discriminated Mm. against people with two languages because, you know, it didn't really judge their fluency well enough. I think what the research is, is showing us that children, by actually, for example, reading a text in English and then doing some productive work on it in in another language, Welsh, for example, they need to process the information first and digest the information and understand the information before they can then go to do some work on what they've learnt by reading the text. And it actually enhances their cognitive flexibility by switching from one language to the other and by alternating the 
input and output. And don't let the complexity of the language and phrases surrounding translanguaging deter you from becoming more familiar with this relatively new concept in education. As we've just heard, when students switch the language mode of input and output in the same lesson, they can improve their understanding of subjects and increase their intellectual abilities too. Dr Lewis again. The research, international research, does show that children who are educated bilingually do perform better academically than those who are educated in one language because this cognitive flexibility helps them to process and digest information. They're able to access much more internet websites and they can switch from one language to the other and therefore not only does it enhance their subject knowledge but it also develops their linguistic abilities as well. So if we look now at where we've come from too in our understanding of translanguaging over the past 10 years, do you think we're in a new age of enlightenment with it? I think we are. We have been looking at bilingual education as teaching languages separately, but the tide seems to be turning towards maximising the use of two languages in the classroom. I remember when Welsh medium education first started in the 1960s, teachers spent a lot of time translating every piece of, of material to be used in the classroom into Welsh. Now I think we're a little bit more confident in that we can bring English authentic English texts into the classroom. For example, in a history lesson, we can look at some records, some documents which are authentic in the English language, and then children can discuss them in Welsh. I think we are moving towards more fluid use of language in classrooms. In terms of getting the right benchmark for which to judge these bilingual students in exams, do you think that we're going to have revelations in the in the future about what their intellectual abilities actually are because you seem to suggest that you have to be very intellectually able to work in these two languages. Yes I think that the first research that was conducted in, in Wales by Dr Ken Williams said that for children to translanguage efficiently their knowledge and their proficiency in both languages should have been sufficiently developed that it Translanguaging was something for children who were developed in both languages, and I think that's true. I don't know about the international examination system, but especially in Wales, children are being given the opportunity of using both languages in examinations, and I think that their their qualifications and their results are something that we are quite proud of. And do you think it has lessons for teaching other children too, the the flexibility? We used to always teach different languages in in different lessons. You know, there was a structure and you didn't cross over, Mm. and, and, you know, the walls and the boundaries were up. Do you think the boundaries are perhaps coming down for all of us? I think they are. I think one of the goals of bilingual education is that children, especially in Wales, that by the age of 11... If they are in a bilingual school, that the children will be proficiently bilingual in both languages by the age of 11 when they move from primary to secondary school. One way of making sure that that happens is that teachers and, and schools plan quite meticulously about allocating languages across the curriculum. So, that, for example, children will have had experiences of science through the medium of Welsh and through the medium of English, so that by 11 they can actually discuss scientific concepts in, in either language. And it's an exciting field of study for you because it's so new, relatively. It is exciting. It's been happening probably for many years, but nobody had a a term for it. I heard recently that a colleague of mine, Professor Colin Baker, had been to the uh, International School in Geneva 
And one of the, the teachers there came up to him at the end of his lecture and saying, thanks very much for giving me a terminology for something that I've been doing for a number of years. So it's been happening, but we are now recognising its value and its advantage in schools. And it's something that the Welsh are leading on in Europe at the moment. But, but you told one story of how children, when they're born in Wales, speak English. They go to school, they, they learn Welsh, and how... Teachers had always thought that learning another language, the native language, did enrich them as individuals. It's a significant feature that most children entering Welsh medium education come from English-speaking homes, and it's something that the parents value, and they see an advantage in children being immersed in a second language. Obviously, it's done in a sensitive way, but the children do achieve, at the, by the age of 11, that they become proficiently bilingual and obviously there are economic benefits and jobs prospects for children in Wales especially if they can work in two languages. And it's also stretching them intellectually. Yes, yes. But then if we just come to the end, your presentation showed how the pupils themselves rated their own bilingual abilities and and they're quite moving words they used, Mm. didn't they? Yes, yes. I quoted one example where there were two children in a GCSE science lesson. They were studying the Human Genome Project and they'd been tasked by the teacher to look at the internet and gather information and to give a a poster presentation in the class the following day. And they were given the choice of either doing the poster presentation in Welsh or in English, taking into consideration that all the material they'd access on the web was in English. Two children decided to give the presentation in Welsh, and I asked them why. They said that by translanguaging from English to Welsh, it actually made them sit down and learn the material. They had to process the material, they had to understand the material before they could give the presentation, and they valued translanguaging as a very valuable tool in learning. So implications for the future, clearly assessment, how we assess children who are bilingual may have to change in the future. But what do you think the significance for the future is of of translanguaging? Yes, I think assessment techniques must reflect the translanguaging practices in the class because if children are using both languages to gain knowledge and understanding, I think those two languages in a translanguaging mode must be used in, in assessment as well. And it is happening to some extent in the Welsh context. It has major implications, obviously, for children working in more than one language in international schools. So there are challenges ahead. Do you look forward to those challenges? Because it's also about revelation, isn't it? The excitement here today is, well, we haven't thought of that. And why has it taken so long for the penny to drop? Yes, every challenge is exciting. And I think we need to sit down and work things out. Because I started my presentation with a quote from an eminent politician who was a chief executive of Gwynedd Education Authority, who said that we teach children bilingually, not for the sake of language, but for the sake of children. It's the children who are gaining from bilingual education. Clearly, as educationalists get to know more about translanguaging, those involved in assessment will have to adapt their practices too. If teachers are just focusing on academic language proficiency, they may be underestimating the abilities of emergent bilingual learners. Some think we need to employ translanguaging practices within tests. Stuart Shaw of Cambridge International Examinations. 
Well, I think you've hit upon the, the key concern here. We talked in the seminar today about two different perspectives. We talked about a monoglossic and we talked about a heteroglossic perspective. And what I think is crucial about the monoglossic perspective, which is now increasingly finding disfavour within bilingual circles, is that it does treat bilinguals as monolinguals and has been and continues to marginalise those students and underestimates their academic mastery of content subjects. And you've also got another term, it's called, it's a kaleidoscope really of looking at these children and their diverse abilities when they're speaking different languages, what speaking a different language brings to a subject in, in terms of their verbal abilities, their oral abilities. I mean even the language that you're using which is the right language, but it does present problems because I think there is a lack of consensus with the lexicon of bilingualism and, again, in the context of assessment, the bilingual assessment labels. So when we talk about a student or a learner speaking a language, what, in fact, do we mean by that? What, in fact, do we mean more fundamentally about bilingualism? Are we talking about a strictly inflexible definition whereby we are really restricting our understanding to fluency in two languages? Or are we being a little bit more expansive, a little bit more elastic in accommodating discursive practices in the classroom that relate bilingualism to the notion of a presence or an operation of language across different languages. Now we heard from Gwyneth about how in Wales they'd kept Welsh alive and it had been controversial yet the Welsh teachers had wanted to teach Welsh as a second language to English speakers to to keep their culture alive but it's much more than just keeping your culture alive isn't it? It's adding to your intellectual range intellectual abilities. It it is doing that but I think at a a, a very fundamental cognitive level translanguaging is actually a means to deeper understanding deeper fulfilment and greater cognitive awareness of language development language maturation and also it's related to language attrition as well I think the research as as far as I understand it, would suggest that translanguaging benefits students because it firmly develops certain principles of language acquisition that are so firmly embedded that the issue of attrition is less pronounced, providing it's still used in the working context, than it might be elsewhere with other practices. And there was one more word. It's systematicity. Yes. Well, systematicity is what I use in the context of accommodating emergent bilinguals. And I think one of the difficulties in accommodating through this arcane and somewhat archaic perspective, a monoglossic perspective, is that there's no real understanding of how accommodations should be used, where they should be used, and therefore no systematic approach in their usage. And that can present enormous problems. And that word accommodating is terribly important because that's what you're trying to do by digging down, by understanding bilingual students more Mm. to make sure you assess them properly and fairly. Well that's the key, It's, it's related to fairness and it's related to what we call validity and fairness and validity are value laden labels, their value-laden concepts, and it's crucial that we give our bilingual learners in an assessment context every opportunity to demonstrate content mastery without being inhibited by language barriers. Accommodations, if designed well, if they're effective, if they're valid, can necessarily improve their scores by taking away any language impediment or barrier. 
but at the same time by not improving the English language proficient student scores because that would create in itself an inequitable assessment practice. New literature on translanguaging is helping stakeholders to learn more about assessing bilingual students. It is important for international exam boards, such as Cambridge International Examinations, to build greater understanding of the concept and to adopt best practices. Examining all students in all the languages they speak seems like a huge undertaking. But it needn't be necessary to go to those extreme lengths to assess bilingual students more accurately in the future. Helen Immam, Cambridge International Examinations. I think that's very important you know, to be aware of the bilingual education context. So translanguaging is an important word that's entered the language, but it's a tool to be used in different ways according to your bilingual or multilingual context and depending on what your goal is. So, yes, Cambridge International Exams, you're right. We have candidates who have many, many different first languages. So we do have to actually weigh up the benefits of translanguaging against the pragmatics. And a lot of the literature until now has been really talking about translanguaging as a teaching and learning tool, not an assessment tool in a high-stakes summative way, but in a formative way in the classroom. Cambridge International Exams were not just about churning out exams, were about education and making the learning experience as enjoyable and as fruitful as possible. So we think that translanguaging could be a useful tool in the classroom for our schools. How are you educating teachers about it? I believe you've got a book out. Yes, we recently published a couple of books in association with Cambridge University Press. One of them is called Excellence in Bilingual Education, a Guide for School Principals. And that attempts to bring all the stakeholders together. So principals, teachers, parents, students people outside the school as well, to work together to plan their bilingual education system. But that is very much about a bilingual education programme where some subjects are taught through one language, some subjects are taught through another language. And that's where you've got strict separation of languages. But we do talk about using translanguaging, even if you're teaching history through English, how can you use the first language to enrich the learning, to ensure the students are mastering the content The other book is called Language Awareness in Teaching, and that could be useful in other contexts, not just bilingual education contexts, so in any multilingual school. And it's a toolkit for content and language teachers, and it's really about making content teachers language-aware, so to scaffold the learning of, say, science or history through English. We also have a section on how to use the first language as a cognitive tool. Right, so here I am. Let's me adopt two personas. I'm an examiner. How is your knowledge of translanguaging likely to affect the assessment of exams in the, in the future? It's going to have implications for examiners. Well, at the very first stage in the seminar, we talked about guidance for examiners who are, well, actually people who are writing the questions in the first place, developing language awareness. Not translanguaging, but language awareness. So taking care in the language that they use to make sure that the assessments are more equitable. And also there's guidance for examiners when they're marking 
exams as well to make sure that they're not assessing language and they should be assessing content. But actually using translanguaging in assessments, I think, in a high-stakes situation, what we're thinking about is innovative assessments, new assessments for bilinguals. And we've just really, in the seminar, opened the question. Already we're trying to be language-sensitive, language-aware in our English medium assessments. We can't possibly examine a high-stakes science exam in hundreds of languages. But is there scope for any innovative new assessment or bilinguals, which will show their skill in two languages. It's just a question we posed at the seminar. So, and, and for the teachers, it's something at the moment to be aware of, and perhaps not to feel daunted by it, but to feel excited by it. It's, it's quite an empowering concept, translanguaging, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's a tool that they can use from using the first language as a cognitive tool to master content right through to the higher goal of developing bilingual or trilingual ability in a subject such as science. So it really depends on their own context and and their own goal. So if we stand on the precipice of a new age for translanguaging, what will the distinguishing features of that new age be? And how will improving our understanding of bilingual students help them and us? Stuart Shaw and Helen Immam again. It is exciting. I think what excites me about translanguaging, both as a practice in the classroom and with the potential to impact on formative assessment, for example, is that it is complex and it does involve a range of discursive practices, but also multimodalities. So you have, for example, the concept of the new student opposed to the student that I was when I was their age. And the new student is multimodal literate. And and this is something that coheres very readily the way they work, the way they apply their knowledge, the way they understand knowledge, the way they undertake learning in the classroom coheres very much with the principal tenets of translanguaging in the sense that it requires multimodal inputs and outputs. Helen, a new age? Absolutely. I mean, Stuart mentioned multimodal, and what excites me a lot is... (laughs) Jim Cummins talks about bilingual identity texts. The book that I just mentioned, Excellence in Bilingual Education by Peter Mahisto, where Peter talks about using translanguaging in the classroom. Also, Jim Cummins in the afterword talks about bilingual identity texts, and I think that's very exciting, where students can demonstrate their bilingual ability in multimodal forms, visual forms, spoken, written, and no longer do parents have to worry about their first language is at risk because they're replacing it with another language. That, that doesn't need to happen. But if we take perhaps children from less advantaged backgrounds in a school perhaps where there may be over 15 languages being spoken, do you think it, it gives us a way of pulling children up? That, that in, in fact, it might lead us to understand the child's mind more and give them better tools to improve their educational ability? Well, I think it does give them better tools, but I think it also, more importantly, imbues them with a sense of confidence and a sense of confidence about how they can learn in a way that perhaps hitherto has not been experienced in classrooms. And linked to confidence, I think, is identity as well, that they're proud of their identity and their mother tongue, their mother culture. And I think a school can do a lot to encourage that. Well, 
I certainly feel excited by your research talking to you both today. A final word from, from you perhaps, Stuart, on, on where we'll be in 10 years' time? Will, will there be new ways of assessing, marking, teaching? Well, what is undoubtedly true is that education has been impacted quite considerably through the emergence of technology. And Randy Bennett, who is a principal research officer at ETS, for example, has talked about the inexorable and inevitable march of technology and how that can impact assessment. And I think that we saw today in one of the examples of a standardised mathematics test, computer-based delivered test, that certainly translanguaging with technology can bring something very new, both within the classroom but also through assessment. Yes, I think that you know, we'll always probably remain an English medium exam board, but I think that what's exciting is that in future students will be able to say, because I have a Cambridge qualification, I'm bilingual because I've actually achieved in another subject through English, which isn't my own language, and I have this other product in my own language. The question mark is, what will that other product be? That deeper understanding of translanguaging is going to have significant implications throughout the world, it seems. And this new awareness is being monitored closely by Cambridge Assessment. Just in case you're wondering how a Welsh speaker says goodbye, here's Dr Lewis. Thank you very much, Diochen Bauer. You can find out more about the Cambridge Assessment Network seminar series by going to www.canetwork.com. .org.uk This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.